Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Our scripture reading this morning is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 11 and 12 found on page 989 in the few Bibles. This is the last Sunday of 2013. On Wednesday we will be beginning a new year, the year 2014 and for Many people, the the beginning of a new year is a time to resolve for good. It is a time to resolve, to make some change for the better. I suspect that at least a few of you have already been thinking about what resolutions you might make this coming year. And those of you who aren't planning to make resolutions, I suspect that you won't be making resolutions this year, not because there is nothing in your life that you could change for the better, but because past efforts to change have proven so fruitless. You've given up on the idea of resolving to change anything. Well, this morning, I want to give you what I believe to be a biblical perspective on resolutions beginning with this text before us this morning, but also looking at others along the way. And so let us look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Listen to this. This is the very Word of God. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray and ask for God to bless the reading of his word. Father God, this is your word written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit. And you tell us that it is written for our benefit, that it is living and active and that Through it, we grow up in our salvation. So, Father, that is what we ask that you do here and now. That as we give our attention to your word, as we hear it read and proclaim, Father, that you would use it to strengthen us, to equip us, to train us for those good works that you have prepared for us to do, that we may walk in them. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen. If you are at all familiar with Paul's letters, you know that they follow a fairly predictable pattern. Paul begins by introducing himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ and a servant of the Lord. Then he identifies those to whom he is writing. And then he tells those to whom he is writing how he has been praying for them. And that is exactly what we have here in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. He introduces himself, he, he identifies the Thessalonians, and then he tells them how he has been praying for them. And I want you to notice especially verses 11 and 12 this morning. Notice what Paul says. He says, To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling. This is language that Paul uses elsewhere in his letters. In Sunday school, we have been studying through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And even this morning, we we saw Paul praying for the Philippians and his, his confidence that God would enable them to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
We see the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4 where, where Paul calls upon the Ephesians to live a life worthy of the calling that they have received. Clearly, Paul understands that there is a life that is worthy of the gospel. And by way of contrast, there is a life that is not worthy of the gospel. There is a life that is becoming a follower of Christ and there is a life that is unbecoming a follower of Christ. There is a life that accords with the truth of the gospel and there is a life that is out of accord with the truth of the gospel. When we profess faith in Jesus Christ, that profession of faith has implications for the very manner of life that we are to live. And Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians is that God would enable them to live a life worthy of their calling. They have been called into fellowship with the triune God. They have been called into servanthood to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And now they must live a life that is worthy of that gospel. It is a call that each of us also receives. We are called to live lives worthy of our King. Worthy of the name that has been given to us. In fact, I would suggest to you that this is one of the primary applications of the third commandment to God's people. We think about not using the Lord's name in vain. We, we think about not using certain words under certain circumstances. And while that is, of course, an application of the commandment, much broader than that, much greater than that, is the, the idea that we are not to take the Lord's name upon ourselves and then live lives that drag it through the mud. Or as Paul says in Romans, live lives that cause his name to be blasphemed. We are not to use his name in vain, but we are to live lives worthy of the name that has been placed upon us. This is Paul's prayer for the Philippians. But notice what he says Next, Paul prays that God would make the Thessalonians worthy of his calling. How? By fulfilling every resolve for good and every work of faith. Paul prays that God would make them worthy by fulfilling their resolves for good. Think about what that means. It means that the Thessalonians had made certain resolutions. They had resolved for good. They had looked at their lives and they had noticed certain things that were out of accord with the gospel, things that were unworthy of the name of their Savior. And they had resolved to change those things. They had looked at their lives and said, you know, this is out of accord. This isn't the way it ought to be. As a, as a disciple of Christ, I ought not to be doing this. I ought not to be talking this way. I, I ought not to be thinking these things. And they had made resolutions to change. They had resolved for good. And Paul honors their resolutions by praying that God would fulfill them and thereby bring glory to Himself. And I want to suggest to you this morning that this shows us the goodness of resolutions. It is a good thing to resolve to change. 
It is a good thing to decide to do something differently in the future if what you have been doing in the past is unworthy of your calling. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, when He opens your eyes to something that you have been doing that is not worthy of His name, it is a good thing to resolve to change. I know some of us are cynical about such resolutions, but but such resolutions are not only appropriate, I would want to suggest to you that they are actually demanded by the Scriptures. When we hear God's commands, We must resolve to obey them. That is the very essence of repentance. That is what Jesus calls for. He says, repent and believe. Repentance is is turning from sin, from that which is out of accord with the gospel. And turning to God with the full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Repentance is is turning from that which is unworthy to that which is worthy. It is resolving to begin walking in a new direction. So resolutions are not only good and appropriate, they are necessary in the Christian life. We must resolve to obey. We must resolve to change that which is out of accord. Now, of course, I'll admit there is nothing that says that we must make such resolutions on January 1st. There there is nothing that says that we must resolve at the beginning of a new year. But certainly January 1st is as good as any other day for making such resolutions. And I want to suggest to you that it's actually quite helpful. It's helpful that God has has given us these cycles, these, these new beginnings. In fact, God's the one who designed them. He's the one who gives us morning and evening. He's the one who who gives us weekly Sabbaths. He's the one who gives us months. He's the one who gives us years. And each time that we cross the threshold, each time we, we turn a page of the calendar, it is an opportunity to reflect on the direction that we have been going and to resolve to begin again. In fact, Jesus himself said that we must go through that process, not only yearly, Not only monthly, not only weekly, but daily. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, Whoever would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. It's one of those words that was just sort of pounded into my brain when I was serving with Bob Drake in Asheville. He just said, listen, look at this. It is is daily. The decision to follow after Christ, the, the resolution to live a life becoming of one of His followers, to to walk in a manner worthy of His name. It is a daily thing for the believer. But it is helpful at the beginning of new weeks, at the beginning of new months, at the beginning of new years to reflect on how well we've been doing day by day and to recommit ourselves to that life of repentance that we have been called to, that life of turning from sin to Obedience. And so the first thing that I want you to hear this morning, especially those of you who are cynical about resolutions, I want you to hear this morning that resolutions are good, that they are even required of followers of Christ. New Year's resolutions, maybe not. But resolutions to obey are necessary. They must be 
daily. As we resolve to live a life worthy of the gospel. But next I want to say something about the goal or the, the purpose of these resolutions. We've been, we've been calling them resolutions for good, as Paul calls them in, in verse 11. And that, that helps us to understand the content. We are resolving to do good. We are resolving to bring our life into conformity with God's standard of goodness. God's law is the blueprint for the good life. It is the lamp unto our feet. It is the light unto our path. It shows us how we are to live. And John tells us his commands are not burdensome, but they are a delight. Because they show us the path. They show us the way to go. They, they show us how to walk that we might know life as God intended it to be. It is good to resolve to obey the law, but notice the reason, the ultimate goal of a life submitted to God's law. He says it in verse 12. Paul writes, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Here it is. This is the goal that that God may be glorified in you and you may be glorified in him so that God's glory may be multiplied, that it may be magnified, that it may be put on full display. For Paul, the goal of our resolutions, the goal of resolving for good, the goal of resolving to change that which is out of accord with the gospel is that the glory of God and the glory of Christ may be magnified. This is exactly the truth that is captured in the first question of our catechism. The first question of our shorter catechism asks, what is man's chief end? In other words, what is the ultimate purpose of man's life? What is the most important thing that he can do? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Whatever the details of your particular calling, this is your ultimate goal, that Christ be magnified in your life. That His glory be put on display in everything that you do. And it's vital that we see this because this is not normally the motivation behind New Year's resolutions. Normally, the, the reason that we resolve to do something is not because we want God's glory to be more magnified, more on display, more seen in our lives. In fact, our motivations are often antithetical to this. But Scripture makes it clear that the glory of Christ is to be the motivation not only of our resolutions, but of everything that we do. This is what your life is for. In fact, we ought not to do anything except to the glory of our Savior. This is what Jesus means when He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and let Him worry about the other stuff. These other things that, that you want to run after, these other things that you want to devote yourself to, He says, He will add those things to you as necessary. You focus on the kingdom. Seek first His kingdom and His Righteousness. That's what Paul means in first uh, in Philippians one when, as we've been studying in Sunday school, when he says that for me to live is Christ. For me to live is to live in His service. Is to to do that which He has commissioned me to do. You see, your life is not your own. You have been bought 
with the price. That means that, that your, your break is not your own. When you're off from school, it's not so that you can now do what you want. When you reach the age of retirement, it's not so that you can now do what you want. When you have a little bit of extra money, it's not so that you can do what you want with it. Your life, your resources, they are not your own. Now, hear me, it's true that there are times when we must recreate. There are times when we must pull back, when we must rest so that we can be energized to do that which God has given us to do. But, but hear me, even your recreations are for the sake of His glory. You rest so that you might have the energy to, to do that which He's given you to do and to do it well. When your recreations become the main thing, they are no longer recreations. They are now idols. Your life is not your own. You were called into His service. Everything you do is to be to the sake of His glory. Everything you do is to be in His service. This is what we are called to. And this is true even of our resolution. So as we think about what we want to change, it must be for the sake of His glory. Now hear me. This doesn't mean that the normal resolutions that people make, you know, the resolutions about diet and exercise, it doesn't mean that those are out of order for the Christian. According to a government website, you can judge the reliability yourself. According to a government website, uh, the most common New Year resolutions are as follows. The, the most common fall into this category to lose weight or to eat more healthily. That people want to eat a healthy diet. People want to lose weight. This is the number one type of resolution that people make. Second, cl- closely related, is to exercise more and to, to get into shape. People resolve to, to begin exercising, whether it be walking or running or going to the gym, whatever it is. Third, or to quit some detrimental habits such as smoking or, or drinking too much. They, they, want to, they want to stop something that is harming their health. Fourth, they want to complete their education or, or get a better job. Finally, the, the, the fifth category is to get out of debt and to, to start saving more money. These are the, the resolutions that people most often make. And I suggest that there are probably some here this morning who are considering such resolutions. There are some of us who need to eat better. There are some of us who need to exercise more. There are some of us who need to quit Destructive habits. There are some of us who would like to get better jobs, who would like to finish our education. There are some of us who need to get out of debt and to begin using our money in a wiser way. In fact, we're offering a class this coming year about financial peace just for that very purpose, to to help those who, who need that. Obviously, we think these are appropriate Things to to resolve. These are appropriate things to to want to go after. But I want you to hear something. That while we may make the same resolutions as those who are out there, we must make them for very different reasons. If you are resolving to lose weight this year, it has to be for the sake of His glory. If you are resolving to eat better this year, it has to be for the sake of His glory. If you want to lose weight because your sense of self-worth is bound up in your appearance, that is not to the glory of God. But, if you want to lose weight so that you'll be more healthy, so that you'll feel better, so that you'll have the energy to actually do the things that God has given you to do, 
to, to love your spouse, to, to instruct and discipline your children, to serve your neighbor, if that is your motive, then that is to the glory of God. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, whose resolutions may be the most famous resolutions in uh, evangelical history, you know, Jonathan Edwards' resolutions include resolutions to watch his diet more closely. Now, why did he want to watch what he was eating? Was it because he was worried about how big his belt was getting? I don't think so. But rather, he knew that there were certain foods that upset his stomach. And that when his stomach was upset, he couldn't work. He couldn't write. He, he couldn't teach. The thing that he had been given to the church to do was hindered when he didn't watch what he ate. And so he resolved to watch what he ate so that he might be better able to serve the church and to serve his king. I don't know what the foods he had to give up were, but he was willing to give them up. He was willing to watch his diet so that he might do that which God had given him to do. It's just one example. We could say much the same thing about resolutions to begin exercising or to, to quit smoking or to, to quit drinking. These are good things, but we must make them to the glory of our king. And of course, that desire to glorify our king, it opens up a whole other realm of resolutions. Resolutions that the world may never think about. When you look at your life, God's law is the blueprint. It is the standard. And anywhere you see your life out of accord, that is an area for resolution. Husbands may resolve to love their wives more faithfully. Wives to respect their husbands. And I want to suggest to you that you, you don't do this in just some general way. It's like, well, generally, I'm going to do a better job loving my wife this year. That won't get you very far. But begin looking at specific ways. How have I failed to love her? What will I specifically do differently this coming year? Parents may resolve to instruct and discipline their children in the Lord more consistently. And again, not in just some general way, but specifically, looking at specific areas where, where they have fallen short, specific things that they have done wrong, and they can resolve to do them differently. And children, you can resolve to honor your parents more faithfully. My kids are in the habit of, of praying, you know, Lord, help me to love and obey tomorrow. They say it a lot. But when you ask them to get specific, they sometimes stumble. Okay, well, what exactly are you going to do differently tomorrow? Uh, what? I wasn't thinking about that. You know, I don't know. Well, if you don't have a plan, if you don't know what you need to do differently, then you're going to have a hard time changing anything. Children, resolve. Resolve to honor your parents, but, but do it. Do it specifically. Look at your life specifically and say, what do I need to do differently that I have not been doing. And this isn't just for kids who are still living at home. I have seen in the last few years children honoring their parents as they get older. I've seen my, my own parents honoring their parents. I've seen my aunts and uncles honoring their parents. And there are many of us who, who need to honor our parents more faithfully. Simple things like calling your mother. Just picking up the phone, checking in, seeing how she is doing. It's a, it's a little thing, but it's a way of honoring 
our parents. It's a resolution to do something differently. We can look at the Christian life and we can see where our lives are out of accord. And we can resolve to change. If, if you've been clinging to your money, resolve to give more generously. If you've cling, been clinging to your time, resolve to cut something out of your schedule. Maybe something important. Maybe something good. But resolve to cut it out of your schedule that you may have more time to serve your neighbors. That you may have more time to give to others. I can't give you all the suggestions. You, you have to do that. You'll have to, to think about it. But basically the idea is this, that you are trying to bring your life more and more into conformity with God's Word. You are trying to bring your life into submission to His commands. Because such obedience magnifies the glory of His name. So my challenge to you is simply this. Take some time whether it be this week or next, but take some time to examine your life and to examine your life in detail. Take the time to, to note where your life is out of accord, where your life is unworthy. Take note and then resolve to change. Resolve to change in very specific ways. Well, even as I say that, I know that some of you are cringing. You are, you are reluctant to do this, not because you don't know or believe that there are areas of your life that are out of accord, and, and not even because you don't want to change. There may be a few of you who simply do not want to change, but, but many of you do. Many of you want to change. Many of you know where your life is out of accord, but you are reluctant to make such resolutions because you have failed so many times before. Because... You have so many times before seen those resolutions discarded before the end of January. And if that is where you are this morning, as you hear me talking about resolving to change, if, if you just are in despair, then I want you to hear what I have to say next because I want to say something to you about the power that is available to keep such resolutions. We see it here in these verses. Notice what Paul is asking. Paul asks that God would fulfill the Thessalonians' resolutions to change. That God would fulfill them by His power through grace. You see, what I want you to hear this morning is that there is a power available in Christ by grace through faith to keep the resolutions you make to change. We see it throughout the New Testament. I want to take you to a number of passages so that you can just be bombarded with this truth. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, we have Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, similar to the prayer we have for the Thessalonians. And he has been praying that their eyes would be opened to the blessings that are theirs in Christ. And notice what he says in verse 19. One of the blessings that he wants them to see is this. He says, I want your eyes to be open to what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What is the power that is available to the Ephesians and to all who are in Christ by faith? It is the immeasurable power of God. A power that is beyond 
measuring. A power that is greater than anything you can imagine. That is the power that is available to you. It is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly places. That is the power that is available to you. So when you resolve to change, you do not have to wonder whether or not the power is sufficient to the task. If you are resolving to bring your life into conformity with with God's law, then the power is there. We see something similar in Galatians chapter 5. Turn with me there. We're familiar with Galatians chapter 5 because in verse 22, Paul gives us that, that famous list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're looking for something to resolve, that's a pretty good list. But I want you to notice what he says before he gives us that list. Look back at verse 16. Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's one of those statements that just sort of hits me between the eyes every time I read it. If You walk by the Spirit. If you keep in step with the Spirit, if you allow the Spirit to empower your life, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When you gratify the desires of the flesh, when you allow them to rule your heart, when you allow them to dictate your behavior, It is not because the power isn't available, but because you are not using the power that is at your disposal. You are not walking in the power of the Spirit, but you are walking according to your own flesh. When you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We we see the same thing in Titus. Titus chapter 2. Turn there with me. Again, notice what Paul writes. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So God's grace has appeared in Christ. And that grace is now training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. God's grace does that. And it's not only Paul. I'll take you to one passage outside of Paul's letters. Turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Notice what Peter writes. He says, His divine power has granted to us, what? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So God has called us to His own glory and excellence. He has called us to to be holy as He is holy, to be perfect as He is perfect. And through faith, by grace, He has granted us everything we need to answer that calling. 
All things that pertain to life and godliness are ours in Christ by faith. Do you hear what these scriptures are telling you? All the power you need. All the power you need to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, worthy of His name, fully pleasing to Him. All of that power is yours in Christ by grace through faith. This then brings us to our final point. If such power is available to us, if such power is ours in Christ, why do we so often fail? Why do we so often fall on our face? Well, there are a number of ways that we could answer that question. One way is to look at our definition of failure. What do we mean when we say we've failed? I think there are many of us here this morning who need to hear that not having arrived is not the same thing as having failed. Being in the journey, in the process, becoming rather than being, that is not the same thing as, as having failed. Notice the language that Paul uses in, in Titus chapter 2. It's the, it's the language of training. That's an athletic term. It's, a, it's an athletic of a coach training us to become something that we are not yet. It, it indicates a, a process, a, a development, a, a growth. It's the same thing that we saw in Paul's prayer for the Philippians. He, he prays that their love would abound more and more. Paul is confident that they are in Christ. He is, he is confident that God has begun a good work in them. But he's also confident that work is not yet complete. And so his prayers that their love would abound more and more. We are in process. What we will be is not yet, John tells us. We have not yet been conformed to the image of our elder brother. We are being conformed more and more from one degree of glory to another. But we have not yet arrived. And so one thing that we need to hear is that being in process is not the same thing as having failed. But there is another consideration. There's another factor that we must Address. Because the reality is that while all of us are in progress or in process, some of us are making more progress than others and some of us are not making the progress that we ought to be making. And so for those of us who are stagnant, for those of us who are not growing as we should, what is the reason? What is the reason? Why, why are we not growing as we should? I want to suggest to you this morning that the answer is not complex. It's actually fairly simple. And it comes down to this. Our use of the means of grace. God has given us certain means of grace. Means by which we tap into His power. I say that most resolutions fail not because the power is unavailable, but because we have failed to use the power at our disposal. 
I remember a Sunday a few years ago when everyone was shivering. It was, it was cold and, and, and people were putting on extra jackets and they were kind of looking at each other wondering why it wasn't warming up. And me being the great optimist that I am, I just assumed the worst. I assumed that the system must have finally failed. We've been having trouble with it for years and now finally it's gone and we're going to have to replace it. But when I asked one of the deacons to go and look at it, he came back with a somewhat surprising answer. He said, there's nothing wrong with the system. We just forgot to turn it on. It was the first cool Sunday of the year and and no one had switched that little lever from cool to heat. And so it wasn't working. We, We hadn't made use of the power that was at our disposal. I think it's a picture of the way many Christians live the Christian life. The power is there. We haven't plugged into it. So the question is, how do we plug in? We plug in using the means of grace. We, we want it to be something else. We, we, we want it to be something mystical. We want it to be, be something, you know, sort of more flashy. But God says, listen, here it is. I've given you the means of grace. Use them. Make regular use of them, our catechism says. Regular use of the ordinary means of grace and His power will flow into your life. So what are these means of grace? What are these means of grace that God has given us? What are these these tools by which God pours His power into our life? Well, they are simply this. Word and prayer. His Word and prayer. These are the means of grace. You can can categorize them. You can divide them up. We, We use them in different contexts. We, we use them in large group settings like Sunday morning worship. We use them in smaller groups like Sunday school classes and Wednesday night and, and small groups. We, we use them individually in our own private worship, in our own personal devotions. We, we use them differently. But however we use them, we must use them regularly. We must make regular use of the ordinary means of grace. And what I want to do, not next Sunday because I'm not going to be here, but for the next few Sundays before we resume our study in the book of Luke, what I want to do for the next few Sundays after I get back is just look at the means of grace that God has given us and and look at how we are to make use of them. How do we use the means of grace when we gather on Sunday morning? How do we use the means of grace? How are we using prayer in the Word? How do we use the means of grace in in our different small group settings, whether they be formal small groups like a Sunday school class or whether it just be a group of guys who get together for lunch? How do we use God's means of grace in those smaller settings? And how do we use the means of grace individually when we are alone in the prayer closet with our God? How do we use the means of grace? Because I want to suggest to you that we all need to make resolutions to change. We all do. None of us has arrived yet. All of us can can take stock of our life and say, this is where my life is unworthy. And when we see those things, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to those things, we must resolve to change. But if you do not resolve in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, you will be wasting your time. It will crush you. It will be that heavy burden that Jesus talks about in Matthew 11. But if you do it in humble reliance upon His grace, making regular use of the means that He has given you to tap into His power, then His yoke will become light and easy. 
and walking by the power of the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. His grace will train you to renounce ungodliness more and more and more and more to walk in self-control, in righteousness, in godliness. That is the promise of the gospel. You see, Jesus came not only to save you from the guilt of your sins, but to make you new creatures. That work has already begun. It will one day be complete. But here and now, those who have that hope purify themselves. Not in their own strength, but in humble reliance upon His grace. And because His grace supplies all the power we need for the task, that is why we call this good news. Now, do you believe that? Amen. Pray with me. Father God, we thank You. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You that the same grace that pardons our sins now empowers us for obedience. Father, teach us to walk in humble reliance upon this grace. To the praise of your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.